Luke 17, we'll be reading together 1 through 4. Let's give our attention now to God's word. Luke 17, beginning with verse 1. And he said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea, than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Thus far, God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you do not leave us to find our own way through the midst of this world and the darkness of our sin, that you have shined upon us the precious light of your word and your truth. You guide us, you teach us, you show us in every respect what we need to do to be pleasing in your sight. Lord, as we consider these words tonight, we pray that you would give us hearts that will quickly and readily receive your word and follow it, that we might bring you glory and enjoy the good you have purposed for your people. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Most of us here this evening, I would expect, understand well the difference between things that we wish we had and things that we absolutely must have in order to live. We might wish that we could be pain and trouble free starting tonight for the rest of our lives in this world. But that is not the same as your need for oxygen. Without the latter, you will die. You cannot live. So there is a a clear distinction between the things that we wish we had and the things that we must have in order to live. And the same uh, realities are found when it comes to the spiritual arena. There are things that we would like to have as believers, as Christians. We would like to have a greater knowledge of the things of the Lord. We would like to have more patience. We would like to have a greater love for the Lord Jesus Christ. But have you ever stopped to think about the things that are absolutely essential for your spiritual life? You cannot have spiritual life without these things, like faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, like regeneration, a work of the Spirit, taking away the heart of stone, giving you a a heart of flesh so that you might put your faith in 
Christ. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit that we heard about this morning. Brethren, without that, we cannot live. We cannot live one day, one hour without those things, spiritually speaking. These are not just things that we would like to have. They are things that we absolutely need. And our text this evening presents us with another element that we absolutely must have. And that is forgiveness. Without forgiveness from God, we cannot live. Without forgiveness in Christ, we are condemned before God. We cannot stand before God. We certainly cannot live and walk and move within the sphere of his favor and his grace. Without giving forgiveness to others, we cannot live. Because if we do not forgive others, others, their trespasses, God will not forgive us our trespasses. So we ought to understand the significance of this this aspect of forgiveness. Now as we look at this particular passage and what the Bible has to say about forgiveness, you will quickly realize several things. Number one, these are not popular ideas. Going to your brother, rebuking him, him repenting, these are not popular in our day. But realize as well, these are not, this, this is not an exhaustive treatment on the issue of forgiveness. We are looking at a very narrowly focused element here about forgiving a brother or sister in the Lord. This does not deal with unbelievers and how we are to respond with them. It does not deal with those who refuse to repent. What do you do then? This is is very pointed. This is dealing with brothers or sisters in the Lord who have sinned against you and how you respond to them. And when do you forgive them? Thirdly, we can say this is not optional. Jesus says, if he repents, you shall, you must forgive him. So this is, this is not something that we can, can think over and say, well, I, I'm just not willing to do that. If you are a believer, this is not optional. You must forgive Now, all of these things make this issue before us tonight extremely important. It is something that affects every single person in the room tonight. It is something that affects us every single day of our lives in this world. We're going to begin by looking at our first main point, the need for biblical forgiveness. Now, this is not difficult. This is very, very uh, easy to understand. Every single day, every day, 
of our lives in this world, we need forgiveness. Not a day goes by that we don't need that forgiveness. And the reason is quite simple, as I said, because every single day of our lives we sin. Either in thought or in word or in deed, either by sins of commission, things that we do, or by sins of omission, things we don't do that we should have done. And this is why we have the Lord's Prayer. This is why we say the Lord's Prayer. Hopefully, the, the, the principles of that prayer are being employed every single day. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespassed against us. But brethren, it's more, it's, it's not just a matter of our sins against God. We need forgiveness every day for those. But we also sin against one another. We sin against other people. Other people sin against us. And Jesus stresses this frequency element here in, in the various translation, English translations we have here in, in the New King James, it says, it is impossible that no offenses should come. It's impossible. It's, it's not going to happen that you don't have to deal with this. The ESV says, temptations to sin are sure to come. Other English translations use, use the word unavoidable and inevitable it's going to happen offenses temptations to sin are going to come we do things that are not always nice we say things sometimes in anger Sometimes, perhaps not intentionally, but by our words or our jesting, we injure other people. We hurt them. We do things. We say things. The fact is, my friends, Christians, Christians is who we're talking about. Christians sin every single day. And they need forgiveness. The little ones mentioned here, J.C. Ryle suggests, may not refer to children as it's frequently presented, but new and weak believers, these sinners, the lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son, who are coming to faith in Christ and being met with resistance by the Pharisees and the scribes, any believer may be included in that. Now, the parallel passage in Matthew is, is pretty forceful, I think, indicating it is children. But I think this, this expression, little children, was common among the Lord and among his apostles. And so how many times in, in 1 John we read, my little children. He addresses the church. As his little children. 
I don't think that's a critical uh, game changer in the equation, but it is interesting to think about. This might not be a reference to young children, but to young believers. What we do need to see is that this sin that Jesus has in mind is extremely serious by the judgment that he pronounces. This is going to happen. Sin is going to occur. But woe to the man by whom it happens. Woe to the one who is a cause for that sin, a cause for that pain and suffering. It would be better for him to have a millstone tied around his neck and he'd be cast into the midst of the sea. Now, children, do you know what a millstone is? Millstone was a large, very large stone, round usually, and it was used to grind grain. And that stone resting on top of another would be turned by a, a mule or some other animal or people, and then the, the grain would be ground up. And Jesus says it would be better to have that heavy stone tied around your neck and thrown into the sea. What would that do? It would kill you. It would drown you. Jesus said that would be better than the judgment that will fall when this sin is committed. My friends, this is a serious issue. This is not something we should take lightheartedly. And in the context, the sin seems to be one of causing or perpetuating strife and discord between brothers, between fellow believers. Oh, how the church needs to hear this message today. Ryle goes on to say, we do this. Every time and whenever we make Christianity unlovely by our words and actions. I don't know if it's happened to you. It has to me. People have heard me respond in a particular situation. They have seen how I've acted towards a particular individual And they said, and you're a Christian? Is that the way Christians are supposed to act? This is a serious situation. And in every situation where it occurs, we need forgiveness from God. We need others who sin against us will need forgiveness from us. This is to be a daily activity we are concerned about. Well, let's look secondly at the conditions of biblical forgiveness. Now, frequently, when the subject of forgiveness comes up, you're likely to hear someone say something like this. Well, we should forgive like God forgives, unconditionally. I understand what they mean, and that sounds very godlike, 
But in actuality, it is very unlike the way the scriptures speak of God and his forgiveness. Maybe I'm missing something, but in every situation I can find in the Bible where the word of God speaks of forgiving sin, there are always clear, well-defined, very specific conditions. God never says, as he's popularly represented as saying in our culture, oh, don't worry about it. You're only human, and I understand that. I'll forgive you. No problem. No, every time God speaks of forgiveness, there are conditions. Let me mention three. There must be faith in Jesus Christ. There can be no forgiveness without that. When the Philippian jailer cries to the apostle, what must I do? The apostle says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. We believe that he is, but we also believe he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We put our faith in Christ. My friends, God does not forgive anyone except those who are in Christ. So Paul tells us in Ephesians 1.7, in him, in Christ, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins through his blood. Nowhere else, if you're outside of Christ, there can be no forgiveness. You must go to Christ. You must believe in Christ. You must embrace Christ. He is the only Savior of sinners. And he is the only way we can know forgiveness from those sins. Secondly, there must be confession of those sins. 1 John 1, 9, if you confess, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thomas Watson's little book that I gave away earlier uh, focuses upon this and is especially helpful on this point of confession of sin. And Watson, typical Puritan, uh, identifies eight elements. I'm not going to, to go through them all, but let me just read a couple of the ones that he has. Confession must be voluntary. It cannot be forced. Like, like Saul, when he was, he was basically forced to acknowledge his sin. Confession must be voluntary. It must be heartfelt. Now, actually, Watson uses the word, it must be with compunction. We don't use that word a lot today. But it means heartfelt grief and sorrow for sin. It must be genuine. It must be sincere. It must be particular. 
Friends, don't generalize your sin before the throne of God and just say, oh, Lord, forgive me for all my sins and walk away. Be particular. I love William Law's practice at the end of every day to ask, take some time, get alone with God and ask the spirit of God to walk you through the day. Every activity, every meeting, every conversation and show me, Lord, if there was anything I said or did that was grievous to you. We need to be particular. That confession needs to be without excuses. I don't need to illustrate the point, but how many times when people are confronted with their sin in scriptures and it's someone else's fault. The woman you gave me. The people demanded. And and we could go on and on. My friends, when we confess our sins must be without excuse, without blaming other people. Third thing, third condition, there must be repentance. I don't know of another passage more vivid than Isaiah 1 and verses 18 and 19, where the prophet says, uh, come, let us reason says, together, says the Lord, though your sins be red like crimson, They shall be white as snow if you will listen, if you will be willing and obedient, if you will take my word and begin to keep it, then these blessings can be yours. In the same way, the prophet Ezekiel has this this passionate plea with the nation of Israel. Why? Why will you die, O Israel? I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Why will you die? Turn. Turn from your sins and live. My friends, there must be repentance Every time we see these glorious promises in Scripture, they are tied to these conditions. Will you listen? Will you turn? Will you confess? At every turn, Scripture links this glorious forgiveness that God holds out to us in Christ. But it links it to the conditions of believing in Him, believing in the Lord. And seeing and confessing our sin before him and turning from that sin. These are all tied together. Now, you, you can look at every single one of these conditions. And what do you see? You see something that you and I, apart from Christ, have no power to do. Without Christ, without believing in him, and that faith is his gift to us. We cannot see our sin, we cannot confess or turn from that sin without the work of the Holy Spirit in us. We cannot repent 
and break with our sins without that being a work of the Spirit of God within us. If we are to forgive others as God has forgiven us, which is what Paul says in Ephesians 4.32, and God's forgiveness has terms, has conditions. It should not surprise us that we see conditions here in this passage that deals with how we are to forgive others who sin against us. And again, three conditions. And the first is this, go to your brother. That's not a hard statement to understand, is it? Not always so easy to perform. This is the first step towards restoration. And if people, if God's people would just do this, if they would take that first step, a large percentage of the problems within churches today would be solved. The first step, go to your brother. My friends, that's not easy. It's not natural. And people can come up with all kinds of reasons why they don't want to do it. And usually it it comes out, hey, wait a minute. He sinned against me. He ought to be coming to me and asking for forgiveness. When that happens, I'll, I'll forgive him. Friends, that's not what Jesus says to do, is it? Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, he's the guilty one. But if he sins against you, you go to him. Now, that's not an easy thing to do. But remember, my friends, as we heard this morning about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We are not in the flesh. We are not natural, carnal individuals. We are indwelt by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it is the Holy Spirit. You pray and ask God to give you the grace to go to your brother. That is what the Lord Jesus is calling us to do. He tells his disciples, take heed to yourselves. This is hard, but take heed to yourself. Don't get mad and walk away. Don't go to everybody else you can think about and tell them about how awful the person is. Go to your brother. That is what Jesus tells us to do. Now, second thing, rebuke him. Now we're getting harder. But if you want peace, you want peace in your home, you want peace in your workplace, you want peace in the church, when your brother sins against you, go to him and rebuke him. In other words, you need to be able to tell the person this is how you have sinned. 
Not this is how you upset me because I don't like what you did. Or I have a different idea about how it should have been done. But this is how you have transgressed the law of God. This is what you've done contrary to the Bible that you say you love and follow. So you, you make it clear how they have violated God's will. The problem is, too often it's not God's will that's been broken, but my will, and I don't like it. But if there is a sin, tell them. Now, my friends, a lot of people would rather go to their graves bitter and angry. They're like Jonah. They don't want to go to Nineveh because they're afraid when they hear the truth, they'll repent, and then I'll have to forgive them. We need to go to our brother and to rebuke him. And when there is sin involved, and you do that, it is one of the highest expressions of Christian love. Because you're saying, I don't want to leave you in that sin. I want you to turn from it. And I want to help you and encourage you to do that. And then the third thing that Jesus speaks of, if he repents, forgive him. My friends, I, I don't know how else to read that except to say that without repentance, there cannot be forgiveness. Not for us from God and not from us for one another. What about Jesus' prayer on the cross? I'm not going to take time to explain that, but to say this. Jesus does not say, Father, I forgive these people who have just crucified me. That's what he did most of the times he talked about forgiveness. He told the paralytic, son, your son, sins are forgiven. He told the woman, the sinful woman, daughter, your faith has made you well and your sins are forgiven. He had the power to do that if he wanted to. He's praying and asking God to work in the lives of these men who have just crucified him that they might come to repentance and believe in him and be forgiven. And I believe that prayer was answered on the day of Pentecost when 3,000 people in Jerusalem responded to the work of God and repented and believed. The last main point, the nature of biblical forgiveness. So Jesus says, if he repents, you must forgive him. What does that mean? You must forgive him. Again, this, this is not the kind of thing that our culture teaches us about, but it is the type of thing that the scriptures teach us about. It does not mean forget it. 
Number one, that's, I think, is impossible. Particularly if you have been deeply hurt or wounded by another brother or sister, my friends, you'll never forget it. That's not what forgiveness is. We are to forgive as God forgives us. Does God forget? Of course not. But what he does do is what we heard about in Jeremiah 31. He says, their sins and their iniquities I will remember no more. There's a big difference between forgetting and not remembering. And when God says, I will not remember their sins against them ever again. He's going to cast them into the depths of the sea. They'll never be readily charged against us ever again. When he does not remember them, it means I am never going to bring it up again. There will not be charges made by God against us. Those sins are forgiven and they are not remembered. And what we need to do is learn if we forgive someone and you never bring that up again to that person. You never bring it up again to yourself and you never bring it up again to other people. That's what it means to forgive. It means never to remember it again. Well, they don't deserve it. Do you deserve it? We are to forgive as God has forgiven us in Christ. And there's not one of us in this room that deserves that. But God has done it for Christ's sake. We forgive not because they deserve it, but because Christ died for those sins. If they are part of the body of Christ and they have believed on him and confessed their sin and repented, they are part of the body and Christ has died for their sins as he has our own. And then lastly, we forgive, not grudgingly, not because we have to, but generously. As God in Christ has forgiven you. How many times, my friends, has God forgiven you of your sins? How many times a day? How many times a week? How many times in this past year? How many times in the entirety of your life has God forgiven you? Jesus says, if he sins against you seven times in a day, that sounds rather excessive. But what Jesus is saying is there can be no limit. Nothing that you can say, I'm sorry, you passed the bar, this is number eight, and I'm not going any farther with forgiveness. There can be no limit. We forgive as he has forgiven graciously, freely, and without measure and without limit. 
So here is how Jesus talks about forgiveness. I would strongly recommend to you, take this passage, read over it again tonight before you go to bed. Think about these things. Read it again tomorrow or the next day. Think about, pray about, ask God to make you like himself when it comes to forgiveness towards others your brothers or sisters who may have injured you tremendously, go to them, tell them, rebuke them, show them. And if they repent, forgive them and never mention it again. Let's pray together. Father, we read these words and immediately confess how weak we are. But Lord, we thank you that you have not left us in our sin. You have washed us from our sins. And you have filled us with the power of your spirit. You have taught us from your word. You're gracious, generous, and and merciful forgiveness. Help us, Lord to follow these words of Christ in our day-to-day lives for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.